message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Graham, uh, I lead the team that leads Jubilee Church, and uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. If you're visiting us, particularly, thank you for coming. Hope you're enjoying it so far. I'm sure, you're enjoying the comfy chairs, if nothing else. And it's great to have you uh, here this morning. We're going to spend a few moments looking at a Bible passage together. And um, if you ever went to Sunday school as a kid, and if you're of my age, which is about sort of 28 and a bit. Um, <laughs> then you probably did. So if you're, if you're in the Sunday school, you may remember this, uh, this story from Sunday school. I know I remember it. Uh, I remember making some things about it and probably colouring some pictures about it as well. But it's actually not just a good story for Sunday school. It's not just a story for kids. It's not just an interesting tale of something that happened long ago. But rather, what we want to look at this morning, and we're going to read some uh, scriptures together in a second, is actually a life-changing account of a man encountering Jesus and what happens when he did. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to open the Bible together in just a moment. So why is it life-changing? Well, firstly, it was life-changing for this individual. He met Jesus and his life was never the same again. Everything for him changed. You'll see why in just a second when we read it. But secondly, I believe it's life-changing this morning because I expect God to be at work here. I mean, it's great as we've worshipped Adam and the band have led us so well and we've encountered God and sensed his presence. God is at work already here. But I'm trusting as well as I speak this morning that God's going to be at work in some of your lives and he's going to be speaking to you and drawing you to himself. So I'm expecting for some of you this might be a life-changing morning. For the man whose story we're going to read about in a second, it was a life-changing event. Maybe for some of you this morning, this is a life-changing morning. Just as this individual met Jesus, I expect some of you will meet him today. And uh, this guy's story that we're about to read, he met the walking on earth, living Jesus, around about 2,000 years or thereabouts ago. But this morning, friends, you can meet the risen Lord Jesus in just as a powerful way. So why don't we pray, and uh, then we're going to read some uh, passage from the Bible together and spend a few moments looking at what it says for us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here. Thank you that you uh, want to speak to us and uh, you want us to encounter you this morning. So we pray you would speak to us, help us to understand what we read from your word. Help me to communicate well. I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, the uh, the passage we're going to read is from uh, Mark's Gospel. Mark is a gospel writer, he writes about um, <clears throat> the life and ministry of Jesus, and uh, if you've ever looked at the Gospel of Mark, you'll find it's an action-packed book. You know, it, it's constantly full of, of Jesus going about doing all sorts of things, and we're going to read a passage together from Mark chapter 2. I think it may well come up on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible with you. Mark chapter 2, we'll start reading, there we are, from verse 1. 
A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up. Take your mat and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralyzed paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Great story, isn't it? Life-changing event for the guy whose account we read about there. And it's worth us putting in context what was happening. Context is always important. Whenever you read a passage from the Bible, it's always important you look at what's going on around it. They don't just sort of pull a verse out of context and try and make it mean something it doesn't. But you need to read around it, see what's going on. And you'll see that it starts off saying, you know, a few days later. Uh, Jesus uh, did, did something. So if you go back, you'll find already, we're only in the second chapter of Mark's Gospel, but already we've got John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come. We've got Jesus coming, his baptism and temptation. We've got the calling of the first disciples, Jesus driving out an evil spirit, healing many, praying and being with his father, uh, healing a man with leprosy. And that's just chapter 1. Well, it's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> and so we get to chapter 2, and uh, a few days later, Jesus comes again to Capernaum. And it seems that his reputation has gone before him. Now, that was only chapter 1, <laughs> but already people are hearing about him. They're hearing what's going on. They're hearing that when Jesus is in town, things happen, and things change, and people encounter the living gods. People get healed and set free. And so because of that, people come from near and far to hear Jesus. And so we find that the crowds have gathered. And they're all packed into a home. There's a standing room only has well been passed. And they're crowded in as, 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 as much as they can be to hear Jesus, to see what he's going to do, to see what he's going to, hear what he's going to say, to see maybe who he's going to heal. As I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking, what about, what if church was like that? Wouldn't that be fun? You know, if you, if you had to make sure you got here early to get a seat. Then there'd be sort of standing room only at the back. And, you know, all the fire officials would be saying, well, I'm not sure we can let any more people in here. Well, they didn't have that. But they were, they were crammed in. All ready to see what Jesus was going to do and what he was going to say this time. And so we find four guys bringing their friends and uh, just imagine the scene for a moment. They'd heard Jesus was in town. They knew where he was going to be. And um, they'd, they'd brought his, their friends for Jesus to heal him. 
But they got there too late. They'd got there after everybody else. And people were crammed into the house. They were sort of queuing out the door. And what were they going to do? They had walked, goodness knows how far, with their friend, carrying him on his mats because he couldn't walk. And they got there, and they couldn't get to Jesus. We find these four guys bringing their friend. Maybe you've come with a friend this morning. Maybe somebody invited you or, or brought you. I'm not sure if you got carried here on a mat or whether you, you came under your own steam. But maybe this guy wasn't too sure what was going to happen. Maybe his friends had said to him, why don't you come with us and meet Jesus? And he said, right, well, okay, we'll give it a go if you like. And they get there and, ah, oh, the disappointment. Tragic, they can't get in. Is it all over? Are they just going to go home? I wonder what you would have done at that point. Well, these guys were fairly determined, weren't they? They weren't going to be put off by a few people you know, pushing through ahead of them. They weren't going to say, well, we'll give up, we'll go home, never mind, we'll try again another day. But rather, they, they persevered. Now, a typical Palestinian home of the time probably would have had a flat roof and would have been accessible by an outside staircase. And so they think to themselves, aha, I've got an idea. We can't get into the room that Jesus is in, but you know what? We can get up on the roof. Now you can imagine the guy on his mat at this point thinking, well, I agree to be carried here, but not so sure about being carried up on his mat outside this rather steep staircase onto the flat roof, wondering what's going to happen next. But his friends have got an idea. What happens? Well, they get onto the roof and start digging through it. And you can imagine the scene, the tiles are thrown off and earth and mud is going everywhere and they're sort of digging through with their hands and imagine that you were in the room. So if you, were, if you were in the room below and you were listening to Jesus, he was talking, he was teaching and suddenly there's commotion above you and all this earth and gunk and mess and the odd tile or two would sort of fall through the hole and you'd be sort of trying to avoid it and say, what's going on? I keep going and I keep digging a hole And then it's big enough for them to get their friend through on his mat. And he's lowered down to where Jesus is. What happens next? The Bible tells us, doesn't it? It's this man's lowered down on the mat in front of Jesus. And uh, what happens? Jesus talks about the forgiveness of sins. This wasn't what they were expecting, was it? This is what they planned for. This wasn't what they they carried their friend all the way for. They dug through the roof for. What does Jesus do? He talks about the forgiveness of sins. They're thinking, what's going on here? Is that relevant? Is that what we came to hear about? But Jesus talks about that. And then, as well as that, he heals the man. And he commands him to get up, to take his mats and go home which to the astonishment of everybody watching, and no doubt the sheer joy to the friends who had brought him, and to himself, he gets up, takes his mat, pushes through the crowd that sort of stands back and watches in amazement, and goes home. So a question for you is this, what do you think might be easier, forgiving someone of their sin, or healing their sickness? Jesus, we see, does both. 
And so that's the, the passage that we've read. We uh, looked at it from the Bible. We had it on the screen there. We've made a few comments about it. But what can we learn? What can we learn? Well, there are a few things that I think we can learn from this passage this morning that teaches us today. What can we learn? Number one, we can learn this. Jesus was full of compassion. Jesus had compassion then, and he still does today. You see, sometimes people have a wrong idea of what God is like. You know, maybe uh, you haven't thought about it much before, perhaps, but if you had to describe what you thought God might be like, sometimes people describe him as being sort of far off and remote and not really interested in individuals. But actually, what the Bible shows, shows us, what this passage and plenty of others teach us, is that actually Jesus is full of compassion. Was then and is now. And he came to show us what God is like. And it's clear that Jesus is like that. In the first chapter of Mark, in verse 41, we, we see that Jesus was filled with compassion for a man who had leprosy. Filled with compassion, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and healed him. Time and time again, the Bible teaches us that God is a God who is full of love and full of compassion. And healing is a demonstration of that love. It's a demonstration of that compassion. And as we pray for people this morning, and we're going to, in a few moments' time, we're going to pray for people, that's a demonstration of God's love. It's a picture, if you like, of his love in practice. Because God is a God who is full of compassion. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible says this, John chapter 3, verse 16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We may come back to that verse a little later. So number one, Jesus had compassion then and still does today. Number two, we see that Jesus spent much of his time healing the sick. If you look through just the first chapter of Mark's Gospel there and then into chapter 2, you, you can't fail to, you know, to see it. Jesus spent much of his time healing the sick. And if you, as you read through the Gospels, you can't fail to be impacted by the sheer number of people that, that Jesus healed. Often the Gospel writers just say, and Jesus healed many. Because there were so many, they sort of lost track of who all the individuals were and quite their stories. So you just get a, and Jesus healed many, the summary of, of what went on. The lame, the deaf, the blind, the paralyzed, the diseased, they're all there. Even the dead, Lazarus, was raised to life when Jesus came there. So Jesus spent much of his time healing the sick. We see that there. Number three, God loves and responds to faith. God loves and responds to faith. Now, this is not the same, let me be very clear here, this is not the same as saying, if you have enough faith, you'll be well. Okay, that's a distortion of the truth. But it is true to say that God loves and responds to faith. So the truth is, God loves to heal. That's what we see in the Bible. And he loves to see faith as people come to him. Now, God can and does make exceptions. He's God and can do that, clearly. But time and again, we see that when people come to Jesus, 
he responds particularly to those who come in faith. So we don't have time to look at all the passages this morning. We could look at uh, various ones where uh, different people come to Jesus and he responds to their faith. I mean, in Mark 5, for example, we get an account of three individuals who are healed, including the daughter of a synagogue ruler and an unnamed woman. And in the woman's case, Jesus sees her faith and responds to it and heals her. In the case of the daughter of the synagogue ruler, Jesus sees his faith and heals his daughter. And in this case of the paralytic we've read about in Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus sees the faith of those who'd carried him there and was able to respond to that. So God loves to see faith. Are you coming to God with faith this morning. God loves to respond to that. It says in the book of Hebrews that without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What's good, however, is that it's okay to say to Jesus, I do believe, but would would you help me believe? (laughs) We get an account of that in the Gospels as well. Someone says to the Lord, I I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And that's an honest honest answer, isn't it? It's okay to say that, because whilst God sees and responds to faith, he loves to stir it as well. He loves to give it. He loves to help us have more of it. And it comes to us from him. Actually, faith comes from reading God's word, doesn't it? That's one of the ways it comes to us. As we read his word, we allow it to do us good in our lives We get faith for what he wants to do. Number four, God still heals today. Kirsty, perhaps you want to be making your way up here, please. And now this isn't in the text, I'll grant you that. So there's not a verse I'm going to take you to right now. But we know that it isn't just about what happened then, but as well as that, what happens now. So this is, uh, where's the mic on, Tim? Thank you. This is Kirsty, and uh, Kirsty is part of our youth group that's called Resounds. And uh, why don't you tell us what happened to you over the summer? Well, I went to North with the youth group and a few others, and we were in Amplify, and they asked um, anyone that wanted healing to go further forward. And then everyone closed their eyes, and they prayed for healing. And when I opened my eyes, there was a sign at the front that I couldn't read before. And then when I opened my eyes, I could. And I'd had glasses since I was two, and I didn't need them anymore. Okay, so let's just, let's just clarify this. Okay, before you pull, you pulled in a second. This is, good, this is good accounts. Okay, so you used to have glasses. You don't have glasses now, clearly. Um, you used to wear glasses all the time, yeah? And um, since the age of two, and how, old, how old are you now? 17. I know I shouldn't ask you that, I'm sorry. But okay, so for 15 years, you've worn glasses. And then in that meeting, this is just a couple of months ago, isn't it? this is in August, so we're not going back in time in history here, we've just last two or three months. Um, so you're in this meeting, and you weren't able to see some stuff at the front, and you really took your glasses off, and then after you were prayed for, after that, that time, then you could. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah. You have. Okay. It's a great story, isn't it? Now you can applaud. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsty. Let's sit down. <coughs> You see, God loves to heal today. It isn't just about then. 
Now, I could have chosen a whole variety of stories. We've had lots of accounts of God doing things in different people's lives over the years in, in, in Jubilee. But God is very certainly in the business of healing today. How can we be sure? We can be sure because of this. The next point, number five, is Jesus commands us to heal the sick and gives us authority to do so. Jesus commands us to heal the sick and gives us authority to do so. So in Luke's Gospel, so when Luke's writing about what Jesus was up to um, a couple of thousand years ago, Luke writes an account of this in, 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 his, in his Gospel. Luke chapter 9 says this, When Jesus had called the twelve together, so that's his disciples, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's fairly clear, isn't it? So for his disciples in that, at that time, then, the twelve that, that followed him and uh, received his teaching, went on to, to, to establish the church. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, before you say as you might well do, well, that's great, Graham, but that was for the twelve who followed Jesus around and who were with him and, you know, lived with him and followed him and were, you know, received his teaching. What about us now, this time later? Well, the end of Matthew's Gospel says this. So this is Jesus again speaking to his disciples. But listen to what he says. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what Jesus is doing here, he's saying to his disciples, listen, everything I've taught you, everything I've commanded you to do, now go and teach others. Now go and teach them to do the same. And so we come in on the back of that, saying, well, we are now Jesus' disciples, and he's commanding us to do the same. So it's very clear that Jesus commands us to heal the sick and gives us authority to do so. Just as he sent out his first disciples, he sends us as well. And so if we're going to be faithful to the life that Jesus calls us to live, this has to include praying for and healing the sick in his name. has to. It's part of it. Now, let's be very clear here. This is about his power, okay? It's about his authority. It's not about my power. I don't have any. This is about him. It's not about any authority that I may or may not have. It's not even our idea. It's actually all from him. His power his authority, his idea. All we get to do is be obedient. You see, God loves to give his authority, his power to his disciples. And as we've seen there in, in, in Luke, Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the kingdom of God, to explain the gospel to people and to heal the sick. And now he tells us to do the same. And so that's why this morning we want to give time in a few moments to pray for people. We want to be obedient to what Jesus has commanded us to do. 
And that has to include praying for the sick. Jesus sent his disciples out to do that then, and he sends us to do that out now as well. But to be real, we also know that not everyone is healed. And even if they are, they still die eventually. So, for Lazarus, for example, the guy I referred to earlier, he died, and uh, Jesus came a few days later, and uh, he brought Lazarus back to life. He raised him from the dead. But there would have been a time, some time later, when Lazarus again died. And so his healing, whilst it was pretty complete for a while, there came a moment when, once again, he died. And to be honest with you all, our experience as a church now, for us as, us as a church and in these days, our experience is as we pray for people, some people are healed and some people aren't. That, that's our, I want to be honest with you, that's our, that's our experience. It's, it's not really the Bible's experience, we have to say, although on one occasion the disciples did fail to cast out an evil spirit and it needed Jesus to come along and do it. But actually we find that sometimes people aren't healed and we don't always understand why. But you see, actually, ultimate healing, complete healing, is found in the presence of God. At the end of the Bible we have a book called Revelation and much of it describes heaven. It's it's, uh, the Apostle John's vision of heaven. And it says this in Revelation 21. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now much of this is linked to the fact that God's kingdom, his rule, his reign... Whilst that has come in part, it won't come completely until Jesus returns again. And healing is is part of that. We see some of it now, and we'll see it completely when Jesus returns again. Now, to be honest with you, there's pain in that, isn't there? Because when we pray for somebody, we want to see them healed. We want to see God break in. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. We think, God, why? I don't understand And sometimes we don't understand. We can't just pretend it doesn't exist. But we need to address it head on and say, God, what does it mean? Why is this? And there are some things we don't understand that are very hard. We don't live in some pretend fairyland here. But you know what? It's not a reason to give up. Just because we don't see everyone healed isn't a reason not to pray for anybody. Just because our current experience doesn't match the Bible's expectation, it isn't a reason to go, well, we'll we'll give up then and not bother. But rather, it's a reason to press into God and to keep going and keep asking him. You see, if our experience is that some are healed, then it figures, doesn't it, the more people we pray for, the more people will be healed. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's It's just the maths. And our experience at the moment (coughs) is that some people are healed. I was reading recently of uh, something that PJ Smythe said. He's a South African church leader, leads a church in Johannesburg. 
And uh, in the last year or so, he had a quite severe case of cancer and has spent uh, a number of months in, in treatment for that. He's now through all that now. And uh, he said this, having gone through everything he's gone through in the last year or so, he said this, comfort is never found in the why, it is always found in the who. He always comes and reveals himself to us. And PJ is referring here to Jesus Christ himself. Comfort isn't found in the why question, but rather it's found in the who question. And who? It's all about Jesus, actually. He's the one that PJ encountered afresh in his illness, and he's the one that he would encourage us to encounter and come to this morning. So let's rejoice over those who are healed, but also let's make sure that we love and care for those who are not. Not just try and ignore it, but let's be very real and loving and caring for those who aren't as well. Okay, last point before we, uh, before we wrap this up. Number seven. It's not just about physical healing. It's not just about physical healing. We've talked a lot this morning about healing. It's been our, our subject as we looked at this passage in Mark because that's a demonstration of God's miraculous power. But actually the greatest miracle, <coughs> the greatest miracle available to us this morning is that you and I can have a relationship with the living God. That is the greatest miracle, that you and I can know him, be loved by him, be forgiven by him, and live for him. And friends, being a Christian, following Jesus, is not just about the certainty of going to heaven when you die, though there is that, but it's about a living, vibrant life with God now being caught up in his purposes now, being added to his church, part of, what is God is, part of what God is doing on the earth. And healing, you see, is a demonstration, as I think we said earlier, of the kingdom of God, God's rule, his reign. <coughs> and this morning, his kingdom can come to you. This morning, his rule, his reign, can come to you, if you trust in him. The Bible says that, all of us have offended God. The Bible calls that sin, rebelled against him, fallen short of his glory. All of us have gone our own way, rebelled against him and done our own thing. The Bible calls that very simply sin. So the relationship with God that you and I were each created to have, that's why we were made, that's what God intended for us, that's been broken. And now nothing that you or I can do, can restore it. Now, even good things, even if you thought, well, you know what, <clears throat> maybe reading the Bible, that, that, that's bound to be a good thing in God's eyes, isn't it? <clears throat> well, that is a good thing. But that, in and of itself, doesn't restore your relationship with God. You, and what about praying? You might say, well, Graham, surely praying is a good thing. And, and yes, it is. But just praying, in and of itself, will not restore your relationship with God that you were created to have. Actually, the truth is that nothing that you or I can do can solve the problem of that which has separated God and mankind. Nothing that you can do of your own efforts or idea will cut it. It's like trying to build a bridge across a great 
uh, a great river maybe, a great um, crevasse, you know, nothing that you can do is going to get across to the other side. It just won't do it. The only thing that can solve the problem of our relationship with God being broken is something that God does. Actually, it's something that he has done. See, he has provided a way back. He has done all that is required for you and I to have a relationship with him. All that is necessary, all that is needed for you to have a relationship with God today has been accomplished for you. Jesus has done it. Amen? Do you remember the verse from earlier from John's Gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God has so loved you that he sent his Son to die for you, to take unto himself the punishment that really should have been yours and mine. Jesus has paid that price that you might live. And this morning, God invites you into a relationship with him. You see, nothing else will fill that void in your life because you've been created for a relationship with him. Nothing else can take that place. Nothing you try and fill it with will work. The columnist Bernard Levins, who's not a Christian actually, puts it like this. He said, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation. Understanding nothing but the fact there is a hole inside them, and however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. It's true, isn't it? Some of you would remember Freddie Mercury of Queen. It was 1991 that he died. I couldn't believe it. A long time ago now. He said this. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success, he said, has brought me world idolisation and millions of pounds. But it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need. A loving, ongoing relationship. It's the one thing we all need. No human relationship will satisfy. Now, I love Sarah, my wife, to bits. But even my relationship with her doesn't fill that void in my life because the only thing that can fill that is a relationship with God. And this morning, Jesus reminds us that he's the one that said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only one that can bring us into that relationship. And he invites you this morning into that relationship. Maybe there are some of you here this morning who need to respond to God's invitation to you. Maybe his invitation has got your name on it this morning. Maybe you need to respond to him, perhaps for the first time. Or maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe there was a time in your life when you were following Jesus. But maybe something happened or it didn't quite work out as you expected and other things crowded in. And maybe this morning you need to return. Maybe you need to come back to following him. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to his invitation. Because when Jesus was on earth, he called his disciples to follow him. So he said, follow me. And they did. And his call this morning is just the same. Jesus says to you this morning, follow me. I wonder what might your answer be. 
is it's not just about adding Jesus to your existing belief system, your existing worldview. No, no, if you decide to respond to his invitation and follow him this morning, it's about putting him first, making him number one in your life, making him your Lord and your God. And if you do that, it'll be the best decision you ever make. Because you're designed for a relationship with him. That's what you were created for. That's what God intended. And so even more amazing than physical healing, great though that is, is God's wonderful forgiveness and new life. It's the healing of our relationship with God. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't miss it. God has it on offer for you this morning. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. It could be for you this morning. In a moment, we're going to pray for some people, maybe for some of you. But first, let me just summarise what we've said. Perhaps the band can come up as I, as I wrap up, please. <clears throat> this is what we've said about this passage we read from Mark's Gospel. Jesus had compassion then and still does today. He spent much of his time healing the sick. God loves and responds to faith. And he still heals today. Jesus commands us to heal the sick. And he gives us authority to do so. We know not everyone, that's our experience, is healed. And even if they do, they still die eventually. (laughs) But actually it's not about just physical healing. It's about a relationship with the living God. It's about that relationship being healed, being restored, being made right. Remember Kevin's words that he brought a little bit earlier this morning about God's power to forgive, to heal and to reconcile. That's what God wants to do this morning. It's to heal, to forgive, to reconcile. I wonder what's your response to God this morning. Are you open to him? Are you maybe still questioning? Got some, got some questions that are outstanding? Or are you maybe going to say, yes, Lord, to his invitation to follow him this morning? Let's pray together, shall we? <coughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you that, Lord, you are full of compassion. Thank you that you know each of us. Lord, thank you that you are for us. Thank you that you have already demonstrated such love to us. And thank you this morning that you call us to follow you. And Lord, we want to respond this morning. We want to say, yes, Lord. Father, I want to pray right now in these moments, Father, for any who might want to make a response to you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? Would you draw people to the Father? Father, I pray, Lord God, you would be at work in this place right now. In these moments this morning, please, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Perhaps we can stand together, can we? Adam and the band are going to lead us in a song in a moment. Before we do that, I've been praying about today. 
And uh, I felt God speak to me about a few situations that he wants us to pray into this morning. And so what we're going to do is this. There are these few things that I'm going to mention now. And uh, these are different conditions that may apply to some of you. And if it applies to you, I'd like you in a moment to raise your hand so I know where you are. And then we're going to pray for you. And so while we do that, Adam and the band are going to lead us in a song. And um, then when we've done that, there'll be an opportunity for anybody to respond to God's love and his invitation to a relationship with him this morning. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.